I would ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 6. And this morning we are finishing up a sermon series called Jesus Teaches About. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount over the last 13 to 14 weeks. And it's been an amazing process as we've looked and seen what it is that Jesus is teaching to his disciples and the other hearers of his most famous sermon, his first sermon recorded for us in the Bible. And this morning we've come to Matthew chapter 6, we're in verses 25 through 34 in a message that I've titled, How Much Do We Really Trust God? Many of you may have met my older children. Some of you may have met Christopher and Victoria. They're in their 20s now. But when they were younger, when they were in their teenage years, when they were in junior high, I made my children a, a promise. And I told them that when they are finished with school, when they're finished with high school and going into college, I told them that they could live at our house in college rent-free as long as they were going to college. This promise was meant to help manage the reality that our world is a very expensive place to live. The gift of a free place to live and the ability to eat all the food in my refrigerator that they want to, which they did. It was an offering that their mother and I made to them to ease their transition into adulthood. We created this option so that they wouldn't have to worry about being in class on time. They, they could be there. They wouldn't have to worry about trying to work 40 hours a week at, at a job. They wouldn't have to worry about paying for an apartment while going to school and all the things that, that life becomes difficult. I wanted them to focus on one thing. I wanted them to focus on getting an education so that they can move themselves into the adult world with a very solid foundation. Now I want to make one thing very clear about this promise that I made. This promise that I made was a deal with my children. I didn't go to anyone else in my neighborhood and offer them to live in my house for free. I didn't offer my neighbor to come and stay at my house for the next two years and eat all of the food in my refrigerator. I didn't go downtown and offer this to anybody else. I offered this to my children. I only made this offer to the people who are in my house because they're part of my family and they followed my rules. This rule was you go to college and you could live here rent-free and eat all my food, which they certainly did. That was the arrangement that I, as an earthly father, made with my children. That arrangement, although maybe somewhat flawed on, on my part, it, it, it came from this example of this arrangement that God makes with His children, and Jesus tells, tells us about in Matthew chapter 6. See, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, He was talking to His disciples and other people who followed Him. He was talking to Christians. He was talking to people who were there listening who followed Jesus. And although this offer is made to anyone who chooses to follow Jesus, it, it is an offer that was not made to everyone. It was made to those who followed Jesus. It was made to the children of God. I want you to see what Jesus has to say about God's provisions in our lives that we see in Matthew chapter 6. We're starting in verse number 25. 
Matthew writes this, quoting Jesus. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? This text starts out at the beginning, it starts out with the words, for this reason. In other translations, might use the word, therefore. Therefore, I say to you. Whenever we see the word, therefore, in the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what is, the word, what is it there for? The word, therefore, always refers us back to something that has previously been said. If we see therefore or however or additionally, it tells us that the author is making a point referring to something that he's already said. So what is Jesus referring to when he says therefore and he starts into this content? A few verses before we find our answer. It's in Matthew chapter 6 verse number 19. It's something we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Jesus had previously said this. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse number 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And Jesus had just finished a lesson talking about money. He had told his disciples that their focus should not be on material things. You and I could relate to that as Jesus telling us that our focus should not be on the things that we want. Our focus is not to be on the new convertible. It's not to be on the new house with 20 acres and a nice stream running through the yard. It's not to be on that, that diamond ring that all the other ladies at work are going to fawn over, right? They're going to gather around your desk. He's saying, I don't want your thoughts and your focus to be on treasures. Now that we know what Jesus was talking about there for and before, it puts his lesson that starts in verse 25 a little bit more in context. See, Jesus isn't expanding on this previous lesson about treasures. Now he's talking about the basics. I want you to write this down. It's point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, you'll find on the left-hand side of your bulletin there's some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you those answers. They'll be up here on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning. God provides life's necessities for his children. God provides life's necessities for his children. First of all, Jesus is telling us in these verses, he says, if God gave us life, then he surely can be trusted with the lesser things. If God gives us life, then we can surely trust him to sustain our life. If God gave us bodies, Surely we can trust him for a few pieces of cloth to protect our bodies. If God gave us these things, we could trust him to give us what we need to sustain these things. Our, our Lord used an illustration in his lesson. He used this illustration of, of, of birds, of random birds. He says, if God takes care of the birds... I wonder, if you think about the birds in our world, even around Paris, we drive back and forth to work, back and forth to church, back and forth to school. We see birds all the time. 
There's birds everywhere. We assume that they have nests somewhere, but we don't know where they are. We assume that they're eating something somewhere. We don't know where it is. I guarantee you it's more than one little old lady with seeds out in their backyards that's feeding all of these birds. It's more than just that. We don't know exactly, but God takes care of them, amen? We don't, we don't know how. We don't know where. There's so many birds up there. We don't even pay attention to them anymore. And God takes care of them. And then Jesus asks, if the Father takes care of the birds, aren't you worth much more than they are? Don't you think, in God's mind, you are worth more than the birds? You are his masterpiece. You are what he desperately cares about. He waited to the end of his creation to make Adam and Eve. I want you to imagine that somebody gave you this amazing gift. Maybe somebody shows up one day at your home or your apartment. They come in, they put a blindfold on you. They walk you out to this limousine. You get in this limousine. They drive around. You don't know where they're going. 15, 20 minutes. Somebody opens the door and you get out, right? They kind of spin you around. Say, I want you to stand right here on the count of three. You're going to take off that blindfold. You hear people count down one, two, three, and you take off this blindfold and there's this amazingly huge mansion in front of you. You're all these people cheering, and you're told, this is all yours. And you're looking at this amazing home. This front yard is immaculate. You've, you've got the entire side of this house all painted white and this beautiful red door, and there's 20 glistening windows that are just sparkling in the sun back at you. There's a brand new porch in the driveway, and you're like, wow, this amazing gift. And as you're walking up to the front door, you're starting to think, wow, how am I going to pay for all of this? I'm thinking, look, there's three acres of front yard. How am I going to mow all of that yard? I'm wondering, how much is this going to cost? How much is this mortgage going to cost? How much Windex is it going to take to clean all of those windows? How many Swiffers is it going to take to dust all of this furniture on the inside? And then you start to think, what an amazing gift that I've been given. But it almost feels like a burden now. I'm going to have to pay for all of the costs of this amazing gift of this mansion. And then you hear somebody say, uh, don't worry about that. It's all yours. And you're also being given everything that you need to support this house. All the basic necessities are taken care of. You just received this gift, and I don't want you to have to worry about the little things. I don't want you to worry about the mortgage. I don't want you to worry about mowing the yard. I don't want you to worry about washing the windows, because they all come with your gift. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 26, verse number 3, says, it, says this. He says, you will keep in perfect peace... You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. There's a very important point to remember in this lesson. Is that this gift that God gives us is a gift to God's children. For his children, he is providing all of life's necessities. He, he gave you the gift of life, and he'll give you the, the food, the, the clothing, the water, the shelter that comes along with it that you need as necessities for this gift that he gave you. 
Now what he's not telling us is that he's going to provide filet mignon at every single meal that we have. Fiji water in the nice square bottle. He's not telling us that, right? But he is saying that the gift of life as a child of God comes with the necessities that are all taken care of. That God's going to take care of those. He gave you a gift. He's going to give you what you need to support and sustain this gift. To God, you are more valuable than the birds. And he sustains their life. Yeah, he loves the birds. He does. But you are his handiwork. Sometimes we get into this moment in life It seems more difficult than we're used to, and we try and take back the reins of life. We try and take back control. And it's when we get to that point where we can't see into the future that we start to worry. When we can't look ahead and see the answers that we start to worry. Come back with me into Matthew chapter 6, where in verse number 27, Jesus says this, And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil or they do not spin. Yet yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's another reminder of who is in control and who is not. It's a reminder of who is the creator of all things and who is not. It's a reminder from Christ of the most important part of our faith. It's reliance. It's relying on God. And I want you to see this, and this is another amazing point that Jesus is making. It's point number two in your notes this morning. Watch this. To worry is to show a distrust of God. Wow. To worry is to show a distrust of God. Jesus starts this section with a question asking, of all the times that you have worried about something, how many times did your worry become a benefit in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever heard this phrase. If you've ever heard the phrase, oh, she's just going to worry herself to death. You ever heard that? Looks like a few of us have heard that. Maybe a few of us have said that. Maybe other people have said that about us, right? I want you to raise your hand if you've ever heard this phrase. Oh, she's just going to worry herself to life. There are no biblical examples, no examples that you, can I, you and I can look back on either in the Bible or in our lives so far and we can calculate the time that you've gained by spending time in worry. We can't calculate an extra day that we've added to our life. We can't calculate an extra hour that we've added to our days. But we can look back and we can say, wow, look at that time I wasted in worry. But I can't seem to find a time in my life that I can say, wow, I gained an entire week just doing nothing but worrying. 
You know what, as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to worry all next week. Someone once said that worry, it's a form of atheism because it shows our lack of faith and trust in God. See, in our home, in our home, Kelly pays all of our bills. When it comes to sitting around the computer or writing the checks and putting them in envelopes and licking the back and putting a stamp, we don't do that anymore. She does it all online. But when it comes to paying the bills in our house, my wife manages all of that. When it, the transferring money from one account to the electric company, to the gas company, and to the insurance, I'll be honest with you, I don't worry about the bills being paid on time. I trust my wife that she's going to pay our bills on time. She's been doing it for years. But if I were to walk up to my wife and say, you know what, I'm worried that the bills aren't going to be unpaid this time, she would, understandably, equate my words to distrust in her ability to pay the bills on time. I wonder how it would make her feel if she knew that I didn't trust her to pay the bills on time. She would kind of feel a little bit, probably set back, that my husband doesn't trust me. Doesn't trust me to do my job. I wonder how it would make God feel if we walked up to his throne and we looked up at his majesty and I said, we said, God, I don't trust you to provide for my basic necessities, so I'm going to start doing this myself. We sat at his throne and we're looking up at God and saying, God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to worry about doing this on my own. In the Gospel of John, John writes this, Jesus is speaking in John 14, verse number 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 in the Old Testament book, he says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from God. Verse 7, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Trusting in God. It would be easy for us to ask, how much do we trust in God? And most of us, I would assume, are going to raise our hands and say, I trust in God. I trust on God. I think the most difficult question, the more difficult question to answer is this, how much are we not trusting in God? What is it that we're worrying about right now? If worry directly relates to the lack of trust that we have in God's provision, what provisions in our life are we worried about that we have taken control over telling God that we know better than He does? What is it? Are we telling God that we know better than you do about our finance? Are we telling God that I know that your word says that I'm to live off of 90%, that I'm supposed to trust you on this, but I don't trust you enough. I wonder if there's an area in our lives that, that, that we're worried about. God, I, I don't know where I'm going to live next month. I'm going to worry about this instead of trusting you. There's an evangelist and preacher named J.R. Rice. He said once that worry is putting a question mark where God has put a period. 
God's given us this answer, but we continue to ask the question sometimes. As children of God, it is absolutely, it is out of bounds for us to understand the promises of God that he has made to us and then turn around and worry about them. There are promises that he has made to us. But sometimes we promise or sometimes we worry about the things that God has already told us I'm going to take care of. If you and I tell our children as they're growing up, if we tell our kids that we're going to provide food for them, or at least we lead them to the assumption that food is going to be provided for them every day, should we expect our children at five, six, and seven years old to worry about if they're going to be fed or not? If we've told them that they're going to be fed? Don't we say to our children sometimes, I don't want you to worry about that. That's a grown-up issue. I don't want you to worry about that. That's for grown-ups. That's for an adult. You know what God tells us? He says, I don't want you to worry about that. That's a God issue. He says, I don't want you to spend time worrying about what, what is going on. I don't want you to worry about the basics because it's mine to solve and I'm going to take care of us. Some of us today, we might be worried about how we're going to pay the bills next month. Some of us might be worried about where we're going to live next month. We might be worried about where our, our food is coming from next month. And God says, I don't want you to worry about that. He says that as a child of God, as one of my children, I'm going to provide for your basic necessities. I gave you this gift of life, and I'm going to give you what you need to sustain it. There's some people, who, however, who, who do worry about these things. And I'll tell you what, there are some people that we come across in our world that do worry about this and absolutely should be worried about these things you say well pastor isn't that a contradiction about what you know what you've been talking about it's not and i want you to see why come back with me into matthew we're in chapter 6 verse number 31 jesus says this don't worry then saying what will we eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for clothing watch this verse number 32 for the gentiles eagerly seek all of these things for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. If this sermon and this scripture has one point, it's found right here. It's the third point in your notes this morning. When we worry about the small things, we take our eye off of the main thing. When we're worried about the small things, we take our eyes off of the main thing. In numerous translations, verse number 32 says this. It says, for even the pagans search for these things. That's what the Gentiles worry about. That's what the pagans worry about. That's what people who are not children of God worry about. You're not, you are not to worry about these things because you are a child of God. These things are for people who are not my children to worry about. I want everyone to come into the family. When you're a child of God, you don't have to worry about these things. There are some people who purposefully keep themselves separated from our family. 
There's such an important reason why God is giving you these gifts. He's providing you with food and with drink and clothing so that you can focus on the main thing. He says, for my children, I'm going to provide for them because I have something else that I want them to be thinking about. I have something that I want them to be doing. I don't want them to have to go out and and worry every day about food and about drink and about clothing. I only want them to focus on one thing. We find that in verse number 33. Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. God says, I want you to pay attention to me. I want the first thing you do is to be seeking me. Come closer to me. Tell other people about me. I want you to be in a constant relationship with me. If you're out pillaging for food and for water and for clothing, it means that you're going to be taking your eyes off of me. I want to take care of these basic necessities so you can focus on the main thing, and that's having a relationship with God the Father. Father. These basic necessities. Remember, Jesus says these aren't treasures. This, this, this isn't what he was just talking about in the way of treasures. Jesus is saying, I want you to recognize the basic necessities that are going to be taken care of for you. But I also then want you to remember, you know what? Once, once you get some money, once you get some put away, I really don't want you to go out and be spending these on your earthly treasures. Because you know what your earthly treasures do? They take the glory away from me. They put the glory on you. They put the glory on your treasures. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's where I want your attention. When my children were young, I said, seek ye first an education I don't want you to be worried about where you're going to eat and where you're going to live, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. I'm going to take care of that. Earthly Father said, I want you to focus on one thing. Godly Father says, I want you to focus on me. I'm going to take care of your basic necessities. There was an eight-year-old boy once who started playing in a little league. He had been in a little league for three years, and, 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 and he had kind of created a little bit of a complex because he started to hit the ball really well. Most of the kids on his team and in his league were a year younger than he was. He got really excited when he saved up enough money from his birthday presents and his Christmas presents to go to the local sporting goods store, and he bought himself this high-tech bat. It was, it was made of reinforced carbon fiber polymer, and, and, and it, was, it was advertised to increase every hit 10 to 15 yards for a kid his age. His next game after he bought this bat, he went up to the plate and and was so excited to be able to put the ball into the outfield and his first pitch he watched that watched that ball just sink into the catcher's mitt as he swung into the fastball and the next pitch he swung a little bit early so that so early he actually lost his his footing and he tripped in the batter's box and and he and he fell over and kind of the kids kind of laughed at him a little bit from the dugout he got up and he just dusted off of his pants and got back up and put his bat on his shoulder, this brand new bat, and 
took his stance and he waited the next pitch that came from a seven-year-old on the mound. A very hittable pitch, though, that he swung at and missed, and he listened to that, snapped the leather of the catcher's mitt. The young man walked back to his dugout, just looking at his bat, wondering why this expensive piece of equipment just missed three pitches. And his coach put his hand on the boy's helmet, and he said, that's okay. You know what? On Monday, we're going to get back into the batter's cage, and we're going to work on the fundamentals. This young man had started focusing he had started focusing on the small things and he took his eyes off of the main thing. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Colossae in Colossians, Colossians 3, verse number 1, he writes this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. You have been raised to new life in Christ. You no longer live a life like the pagans do. You no longer live a life like the Gentiles do, like the non-believers do. We must re remember that, that life is more, it's about more than just dying with the most. We've heard it said, it's not about dying with the most toys, Right? It's not about being the most. It's not about having the most or giving the most or, or loving the most. It's not even about going to the most places or having the most likes or having the most followers or having, collecting the most badges. It's not about putting away the most money. It's not about catching the most fish or making the most cookies. The main thing is to glorify God. And it's through our continued relationship in our growth in our relationship with God that we could proclaim His name and stand in righteousness. Anything else takes our eyes off of Him. See, as Christians, you are different. You're different from the pagans. You're different from the Gentiles. You're different from unbelievers our worldview is different. Our principles are different. Our values are different. And thank God our eternity is different. Amen? Amen? Jesus isn't, he's not quite done with his lesson here about anxiety, about worry. He has one more important point to make. Follow me back to Matthew chapter 6. We're in verse number 34. Jesus says this, so don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Some of us struggle with tomorrow. But we should be thankful that Jesus just gave, this, just gave us this amazing, important lesson. Watch this, the final point in your notes this morning. The trouble of tomorrow is not the problem of today. There will be complications in our life. We know that. That's no secret. But we don't need to make today any more difficult by carrying yesterday's worry into tomorrow. Tomorrow already has its own issues. There are already obstacles tomorrow that we need to, with God's help, maneuver. 
We're going to be faced with situations tomorrow that are different than yesterday, that are different from today. I know that in our world, anxiety is a major issue. We all get anxious about things. We worry about things. There are, there are doctors that we see to help our mind manage worry and anxiety. It, it is a deep, recognizable issue in our world. Does the Bible have an answer for worry and anxiety? Yes, absolutely it does. Is it easy to, to go home and, and read 11 verses today or to sit here and, and listen to 11 verses and a 40-minute and a sermon and say, okay, I could, I could walk now into a world of laughter and pure bliss for the rest of my life? No, that's not quite as easy. But if at a minimum... You could walk out today with less worry, with less anxiety about the necessities in life, then that's a good first step. Amen? Amen. I would ask you this morning, I would ask you if you have any extra room on your bulletin or maybe in your mind just to simply write a list of what is it that you're worrying about. What is it that's captivating your mind right now? What is it that is managing your life and getting in the way of God's glory? What are the small things that are getting in the way of the main thing? What is it that's giving you anxiety this morning? See, God never promised that He's going to provide for all of our wants but he did promise that he's going to take care of our needs. See, if God's the creator of our life, though, we need to remember that he is the one that gets to dictate what our needs are. Sometimes our definition of a need and God's definition of our need are drastically different, right? Some of us have thought over time that, you know what I really need is a, is a great job that brings in just great money so I can support my family and get us maybe into this wonderful home. And you know what God says your needs are? God might say, you know what? Your needs are going to the mission field. Your needs are to pack up, and I need you someplace that people don't know about me. God's needs are always His needs for us. If He were to make that list for us, would our list be exactly the same list that God's needs for us are? We have to remember that it's not up to us to tell God what our needs are and demand that He satisfy our needs by our rules and by our fashion. He's the only one who has given us this gift of life. So He's the only one who can provide for our needs and can tell us what our needs are. He's told us. I don't want you to worry about food. I don't want you to worry about shelter. I don't want you to worry about what you wear. I know there are some people here this morning that worry a lot. My question is this morning, are you trusting God as much as you're worrying? Are we praying as much as we are concerned 
Are we in our Bibles searching God's Word for answers as much as we are on the internet buying earthly solutions? It's a trying time in our world right now. I know what the news says. The news says that the economy is up and it says that money is up and it says that savings are up. It would be fair to say that sometimes we don't feel that in our everyday life, right? Sometimes we find and we feel the struggle of paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes we feel the struggle of that next bill. God says there's some things I don't want you to worry about because I want your eyes focused on me. I'm going to supply these things for you. There's other things that are wants. We'll work on those. There's a lesson. We're not to pursue treasures. But we are to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And for that we can be eternally thankful for God's provisions. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.